0: This is why you're fucking poor. Uh, What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Welcome to that's deep bro. Thank you for downloading this episode. I'm glad to be back. I was on a little vacay, but I'll talk I'll talk about that later first. Let's get the business. Um, out of the way, I'm going to be doing stand-up in St. Louis, Tits, Missouri at Helium Comedy Club, September 22nd and 23rd, October 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee at Zaney's Comedy Club, October 4th, Charlotte, North Carolina at the Comedy Zone, and then October 8th, your mom's house live in Spermvine, California. I hope to see uh, all the mommies there, and I know some of you are who are listening to this show are crossover listeners of your mom's house, and that's deep and I love that. Thank you for supporting both shows. What else? Okay. All right. Let's get going. Uh, Louise Hay passed away, or I guess in the self-help world, we don't say that people die. We just say that they've crossed over into the other side. And I thought I would honor her memory with some positive affirmations. Repeat with me. I approve of myself. I approve of myself. You approve of yourself. You approve of yourself. support myself I support myself you support yourself you support yourself <laughs> okay have we gotten enough positive affirmations I guys? trust myself I trust myself I trust I tru- myself. I trust myself Trust you yourself. trust yourself. You trust yourself. Sound, you trust yourself. I don't know why she does it that way. I and then you. It sounds a little I like... I am my best friend. I am my best friend. It sounds like you do that. I am my best friend. You're your best friend. You are your best friend. You're your best friend, dummy. Right? Doesn't it sound like she's kind of... You your best friend. She's kind of telling you off a little bit. Maybe I'm just reading I into that. Okay, here we go. Louise Hay, uh, the founder, one of the founders, I would say, of the self-help movement has gone to the other side. Let me move this. Goddamn microphone. There we go. I just moved the mic out of the way. Uh, Louise Hay has passed away, and uh, such a bummer because uh, she was one of the founders of the self-help movement. She started in the 80s. She worked with AIDS patients. She and Marianne Williamson and Wayne Dyer. And I think I would consider, like... People like Barbara DeAngelis and and Doreen Virtue and all these wonderfully colorful people um, started the self-help stuff. But Louise Hay, I really loved her and I still love her even though she's gone, because she's kind of like a gateway person to to start with. If you're interested in like self-improvement and you know, why am I feeling anxious all the time? Why am I sad? What's wrong? I feel like I should go to therapy. Like when you're right on the precipice of like all that stuff, I think Louise Hay is such a wonderful entry point. And she founded a company called Hay House Publishing, and they publish all these great self-help authors. But um, but what she's really known for are her books. I think there's one called You Can Heal Yourself or You Can Heal Your Life. And she also, because of she, deal- she dealt with the AIDS epidemic, she believes that a lot of our emotional trauma can create physical problems in the body, which I totally agree with too. I mean, if you've ever been in like a crummy relationship and you have headaches and stomach aches and all that crap, and then the minute you break up with that person, all that stuff disappears, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> or you, or the job that you're at every day, you seem to be um, having the same problem, like migraines and anxiety, and then you quit the job and all of a sudden all your physical stuff disappears. Well, yeah, of course, it's all linked. Uh, so check out Louise L. Hay was her middle initial. And what I love too about Louise is she died at 90, which is like Wow, she died in her sleep. Thank God. I mean, let's all hope we can die in our sleep, um, is that she came from a really traumatic background. She came from a background of really like a, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, and a lot of sexual abuse too and trauma. So um, she really healed herself and then she helped other people heal themselves by starting Hay House. And, I, and there's also Hay House Radio. There's an app on the iPhone called Hay House Radio where you can hear all these different people talk like Esther Hicks and... Um, you know, all these other Wayne Dyers of the world, Hay House Radio. It's an app you can put on your iPhone. You can listen to different speakers. And, you know, they're always trying to sell you books and crap too and seminars. Like, if you want to know more about Angel Whispering, you can go to my $3,000 seminar this weekend in Maui. And it's like, all right, look, look, man, I ain't trying to sell you guys nothing, right? I do this out of the goodness of my black heart, that's why I got sponsors at the top of the show so I don't have to trap you guys into spending more money. I'm just trying to uh, spread the knowledge that I've acquired over the years and to entertain. You know what I'm saying? Shit. So there you go. Louise Hay, rest in peace. I know she's in the astral plane looking down on us and she's uh, still enjoying life. And speaking of enjoying life, I went on a vacation with the husband, the the kid, the nanny. Uh, We met his parents in Florida, and I took a full seven-day vacation. And it's been a few years since I've uh, chilled the fuck out that hard. I haven't slept in years. You know, when you have a kid and all that, you just stop sleeping for a a little bit. So it was nice to uh, relax, like fully, fully unplug. And uh, oh boy, I got to tell you, I... I did a lot of nothing. I did a lot of day drinking, which I haven't done that in ages. I, I miss that. I miss having like a glass of Chardonnay in the middle of the day <laughs> and then just taking a nap because that's really all, all I can do once I've day, day, day drank. You know, I never understood that like when office, my office coworkers would go out to lunch and then they'd get boozed up at lunch and then you go back to your desk fully ripped and I was like I just want to take a na- I just want to go home or take a nap. I don't want to work anymore. Like who wants to file things when you're hammered at work? I mean, apparently some people, but to me that was just torture. So, I cleared my calendar so I could drink during the day and take a nap is what I'm trying to tell you. But uh, so for this pur- the purpose of this show and uh, and kind of where my head's at, I noticed that I uh, in the pursuit of my vacation and leisure I really started to think about uh happiness, just the nature of joy and the nature of enjoyment and happiness and that's a topic i don't really do a lot on this show because I feel like it's a it's annoying um, who wants to talk about you know who wants to talk about happy stuff when uh i don't know I feel like I just feel like there's so many other important things out there, but I, and and again, and that's the problem. That's, that's the fucking problem is that I think that there are so many other things that are important out there when really uh, happiness is probably everyone's top, right? When you ask somebody, what do they want for their children? Number one is to be happy. And in this vacation, I got to thinking about the nature of that. Cause what do you do on vacation? It's the pursuit of joy. It's the pursuit of pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. And that's why they're so awesome. Cause you set time aside in your life to just pursue things you enjoy doing and to, to do less and to exist more, to be more capital B. And, um, yeah, and I got to thinking um, how sometimes I don't allow the expression of joy. Like if you've watched a little child play in the pool or just play, there's so much glee there. There's so much um, just unchecked bursts of joy that children experience, and then you know over time as an adult you learn to kind of guard your joy, and you you guard it and you convince yourself that some somewhere deep down inside you're not worthy of happiness. Cause well, maybe your unconscious beliefs are telling you that you're a bad person or you don't deserve things that other people have or whatever the negative mantras are that you've, you've, uh, picked up from, from childhood or from, from, from your upbringing or whatever the heck it is. And, um, and I, uh, I got to thinking about that. Like how, how often do we put the choke chain, on experiencing joy and, and it's not it's multi-layered right because there's on the one hand of like especially if you were raised by an alcoholic this is a huge problem with children who grew up with alcoholic parents is that um it's really hard for them to feel fun and fun and careless and carefree and especially a lot of children that are raised in a lot of like trauma and stuff as adults they have a really hard time experiencing fun uh it's almost unheard of that you would have fun in life, that you would pencil in an area of your life just for fun. is It's preposterous to people that have grown up in, in a lot of trauma. So, um, you know, anyways, I, I invite you to look at, at, I don't know, maybe are you, are you holding back? And, and also, there, there's also stuff about you feel happy, right? And then But you don't want to feel too happy. There's always that thing of like, what if I feel too happy? When's that other shoe going to drop? Right, we're always looking over our shoulder for the next the the snap back. Right, the the repercussion reper- of feeling joy. We expand with the joy, and then it's gonna it's gonna contract. Excuse me. And sooner or later, there will be punishment for experiencing joy. And we don't know why we feel that way. Right? That's like an unconscious sort of uh, fear. It's like it's it's not rational. It's not something you you can really name or place. You just know that like, Oh God, I better not get too high. I better not get too, <laughs> too joyful because the other shoe's going to drop. And you know, then what, then what will I do? Think, feel, react, blah, 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 blah. And to that, I say, you know, that again, that's, that's something that's, you got to look at each person individually as to what that unconscious stuff is. Why do you feel like you don't, a don't deserve joy or happiness or B, maybe you grew up in an environment where, uh, older people didn't want you to experience too much joy or too much success or shine too brightly under their watch. Uh, and I know that sounds really dark and crummy, but unfortunately sometimes, you know, look, man, you enter this earth, this earthly plane to parents, uh, who are not of your choosing and you, you come into this world, a pure, innocent being and you know, Hey man, shit happens. So um. Yeah, sometimes you might be raised in environments where people don't want you to feel that joy because it makes them feel uncomfortable or it makes them, the parent, feel diminished in some way uh, and they need to maintain their ego structure so they'll keep you just under them always, right? You have to stay just under where they are. Uh, it's so. Cr- I was listening to this woman on YouTube talk about growing up with a narcissistic mother and she said... I had a mother who would just, uh, you know, dig at me and dig at me. And she wasn't satisfied until I began to cry. And then it's like when I cried, the mother felt relief at the situation. So, and I thought, oh my God, that was just like, it makes your heart just sink when you hear stuff like that, stories like that. And you think, what kind of monster does that to children? Well, here's the thing. Um, monsters who were raised by monsters do that to children. We all know that. It's not their fault. It's just kind of what fucking happens to them. You're raised in a trauma situation. It's not like they had the tools that we have today with therapy and and going back and, and you know looking at causes of things and dealing with feelings and traumas and such. And then what happens is they grow up and then they do the same stuff to their kids that was done to them. And it's unconscious. It's not, uh, you know, look, are some parents evil? Yeah, for sure. Most of us are walking around unconsciously doing the stuff that we learned through uh, other people who were victimized. So this is not to blame. It's not to blame. It's just to state the, uh, the, the facts of what's happening. So joy, why don't we want to feel uh, this and that? Why are we afraid of it? And also the cultivation of it. I I got to thinking about, you know, because when you come back from a vacation, at least for me, my pace is way slower. For about a week, I have this like wonderful afterburn of uh, a vacation just kind of like, meh, if it happens, I'm not going to stress about this, that and the other thing. I'll do things at my glacial pace, (laughs) which is what I've been doing this week. It's like, I'll mosey into that. I'll just, I'll elbow. And it hasn't caused the collapse of anything, you know? And I've been thinking to myself, well, why not try to maintain this slowed way? You know, I was talking to this uh, woman who, uh, we were talking about how she and I both have this habit of doing five or six different things in the time it takes our husbands to do one task. And you know, there's that whole thing like women can multitask, multitasking. Yeah? Like, I don't know if that's true because I'm not sure I'm doing five or six things really well. I just know that I'm, I'm doing them and I'm doing them in a panicked, hurried fashion because I think that everything has to be done now and it's all an emergency. But if everything is an emergency, then nothing is, this is what we learn when we turn 40. But, uh, but that's not to say that my husband does things wrong. He's just doing it one thing. And the time I do five or six things and he's probably doing it a little bit better than I am is what I'm actually trying to say. Uh, so why not mosey into life at a, at a vacation pace? And I've learned that in doing that, I've been so much calmer, dude. And you really do have to, take time to unplug from the matrix. It's so vital. It's so essential to your being. Like, think about it. Do you want to be on your deathbed and just think about how awesome it was to work every day of your life? And um, are you going to be so stoked that you put in all those extra hours in the office? Or are you going to be thinking about those wonderful vacations you took with people you loved and the, the great times you guys had, you know, sitting outside and uh, looking at stars or whatever, or the ocean or, you know, camping, if that's your thing, or going to Burning Man and getting weird. I don't know what your thing is, man. But I came back from the vacation, and um, we got this couch that we put outside, and there's an awning, and now we can sit outside, uh, uh, which we couldn't do because where I live is very, very hot in the summertime, and there's no sitting out there. we put this couch in this awning there and it has completely transformed the way we live. You ever do that where you just put like a chair somewhere different in your house and all of a sudden everyone starts to use that chair and then we all start to inhabit a different part of where we live and it completely changes The things you do and how you relate to those things. And, you know, we put that couch outside and now we have coffee in the morning outside while the kid runs around and picks up dirt and throws it around. Like we didn't do that for, we didn't sit outside for so long just because I wasn't um, thinking in terms of like, Oh, you know, what would bring joy to the house is if we switched this around and made it a space that was inhabitable. So I just thought that was a nice uh, sort of lesson for me this week is looking at things that bring you joy and putting them actively in your home. You know, for me, I love candles. I can't really have real deal ones because the kid will just tear those apart. But I get the battery ones and I hide them. I put them way up high so I can't touch them. And I like good smells. So I got one of those, uh, you know, vaporizer things from Amazon. You just shake the good smells in there. I'm telling you, something so small, like putting in good smells in your room at night, it's like, it just changes everything. Turning the lights down at night, at the end of the day, and not doing work in bed. Don't you dare. Don't you dare bring your laptop into bed past a certain hour. Don't you dare do that to yourself. Give yourself a goddamn break. I learned that lesson uh, a while back, like when I was just working up until bedtime, like don't, don't fucking, you, I can't do it now because my nervous system gets get so overwhelmed, man. I just, I got to put all the equipment goes down at a certain time of the night, the kid goes down and I put the fucking iPhone down and I, I pick up the remote control of the TV and I watch something stupid with my husband and we just fucking have fun before bed. Cause I, I cannot. I can't do it anymore. Dude, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Joy, I will cultivate more joy in my life is what I'm trying to say. Okay. So so many emails have come in since I was away and I um I want you guys to know that I do read them all. However, I may not always answer them in a timely fashion and so I apologize but know that I read them. I think about you and sometimes if I don't answer it's just because a uh, I don't know what to say, and I'm not a licensed therapist by any stretch. I'm a douchebag comedian who just really likes helping people uh with the stuff that I've learned about therapy and uh self help philosophy weirdness fucking you name it it's uh I just like to have deeper conversations because I think uh, I think the world is full of a lot of nonsense and i I can't contribute to the fucking bullshit uh culture of that so let's go into. Oh, oh, my affirmations are still planks. You are willing to oh. grow and to change. You are willing to grow and to change. I, uh, I gained about 5,000 pounds too on this vacation, so I am willing to not eat hot dogs for a while. Okay, let's do some email. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Yes, I do, Dan Pena. So let me start... Oh, gosh, this one might not be... This one's a little heavy, but I think I will start here. Um, just because I think this is so pretty... It's, it's gnarly, guys. We're going to start heavy and then maybe stop, go lighter later. But I did want to answer this girl because I think it's pretty... Um, pretty serious so here we go this is a college student she writes i'm a college student about to finish getting my associates in criminal justice she writes woohoo congratulations i'm in my final semester class just started august 28th and i got to see who my classmates will be these next few months and within those faces was a person i knew long ago this person is my rapist yikes We were both 15 years old and actually great friends prior. When I went over to his house for a school project is when he took advantage of me. I'm now 21 years old and I've only told my close friends and my fiance. I've done my crying through these last few years and I have felt at peace with it till a couple days ago. I didn't panic or feel the need to leave when I saw him. I just felt self-conscious throughout the whole 90-minute class and I know it's because... While he was hurting me, he told me how fat slash ugly slash gross slash loose I was, and though I blacked out while this happened, those words still hit me hard in random thought. We live in the same area, and I have always worried deep down that I would run into him at a store or something, and the fact that he's in my class a couple days a week for four months scares me. I can't leave the class because I need it to graduate. And I want to show him he hasn't hurt me. I get married in two weeks and I'm excited, but his face reminded me of what has was taken from me and really brought down the blissful mood. I'm scared, panicking, saddened, and confused. M. Okay. First of all, M, uh, I'm so sorry that that, uh, that happened. That is by far... It has to be the most traumatic thing, and the most fucked up thing to do to a human is rape. I mean, you you, you take somebody's humanity, and it's not just the, you know their innocence. You take their future too. If you know if 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 the victim allows that to happen, I'm saying without getting treatment or trauma or therapy, very very fucked up. And I'm sorry that that happened to you, but I'm glad that you have moved on. You're about to be married. You're about to wrap up this degree, which is amazing, and especially at such a young age. I'm so, uh, I'm just amazed at how you've gotten your life despite such a horrible thing happening to you. So that's to be commended and congratulated. Um, I will say this, okay? Now, I you know I'm not so versed in this type of trauma and stuff, but I, I, I all I can uh, my instinct tells me to tell you is uh, go to the administration. Go to the people that have the power to change things for you. Um, one thing I've learned, uh, look, it looks like you're, and I just want to say this, and I know that you say you, you felt really self-conscious when you were sitting in class with him. Well, yeah, of course you did. That's totally reasonable. That is a normal response because your attacker is sitting in the same room with you, and I couldn't imagine a more uncomfortable, horrifying horrible thing. And I don't think you should have to tolerate that for four months. And clearly it's messing with you because you're scared, you're panicking, you're sad and and confused. Of course you are. Because every time you see this asshole, you are thinking about what happened. So yeah, uh, you're totally validated uh, by me and I'm sure by anybody listening to this. Um, But might I suggest talking to the powers that be? Because I think we forget Uh, especially at 21 you forget that there are just people in these structures in academia in the world and the irony is you're you're getting your associates in criminal justice (laughs) irony of ironies I think if anybody would understand that it's probably the people in your department um I might start by talking to the teacher or talking to a higher up in your department and simply saying look I i really prefer to keep this discreet between you and I. I don't want this to be a big thing because I'm very embarrassed or whatever it is you feel. Uh, but this guy attacked me and I've dealt with the trauma of it, but I prefer not to be in class with my attacker. And is there some way we can work around this? Because uh, I think what happens is we get worried that there are no solutions to problems and there there always is a solution. And I highly doubt, uh, by the way, and if some administrator does say to you, tough shit you have to sit in class with your attacker your rapist go to someone else go to the next person that you think will be receptive to your problem there's not just one person in the world that can help you so go to the higher ups go to the people with the power to change the situation now that might be that maybe you do this class online maybe you do this class maybe there's a different um a section, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there a night version, a day version, whatever? Maybe they move him. Maybe he's the asshole that gets kicked out. Um There are, there have to, there has to be a solution to this that doesn't involve you having to sit and suffer, uh, especially at a time that's really happy for you, you know? And it just always, doesn't it always seem to coincide that way <laughs> that you're about to get married, you're about to have a baby, you're about to start a new career, move away. And that's just when, that is just when the person who can screw with you the most, it's like they know their, their, their shitty person radar just goes off and they're like, Oh, I sense that person's moving on and is happy. Let me go screw with them. Um, so this is a wonderful opportunity for you to practice maintaining boundaries and maintaining what you will and won't tolerate and what makes you feel safe and unsafe, and you're very young and there's no reason for you to feel crummy like this. So go talk to somebody that's higher up, someone you trust, if you have a good rapport with somebody, preferably I would say a female, um, so that you have a sympathetic ear. Um, have them pull some strings and work something out because there is no reason to do that. And believe me, especially in today's culture where uh, sexual assault is now a topic that's not really as taboo as it was. This is not like the 1950s where they're going to blame the girl. Oh, you better suck it up, sweetheart. Uh, They might. I don't. I'm hoping they don't. Uh, Like I said, if one person gives you that answer of like, suck it up, then go find somebody else. Go find the right person that will help you because nobody should have to deal with that. And will you please write back and let me know if uh if things worked out or or how it worked out for you okay so this next one um came in from another girl it's so interesting they all, it all comes in, in in waves doesn't it um so this th- I won't read the whole email because it's kind of uh you know it's longer and I would want to do it more justice but basically Um, this girl had a boyfriend who threatened to kill her, which is bananas and horrible, but she said she's been in therapists. Uh, she's been in therapy and she's been feeling a lot better in most areas of her life. She has two jobs. She does well in school and she's sober and that's great. The problem is she doesn't feel safe being around men, right? She loved having someone to be In love with. She loves the idea of having a guy's, a guy's who's my uh, a guy who's my guy. But every time I look at a man, all I'm thinking is, how is he going to fuck me over? Also, don't trust myself because the person I thought loved me and the most in the world tried to kill me. I didn't see all the red flags, and I'm so goddamn mad at myself for that. I'm mad at myself for being duped. I feel like I have no idea what's right, what's wrong anymore, and I can't trust my own judgment. So this is from a girl named Sarah. So basically she had a boyfriend who uh was really abusive, calling her fat, ugly, and stupid. Um got mad when she would hang out with friends and family, and instead of kicking him to the curb, she writes she tried to confront him and change things. Uh he threatened to kill her, basically. <laughs> so, what's going on here? Number 1, uh it's an abusive relationship. And I think what's really important to see here is that uh the reason a lot of us are attracted to abusers, bad people, bad situations. It's because it feels familiar. It's not that it feels good. It just feels familiar because it, you had that scenario growing up with a parent, right? So, in order to to go forward in your life and to kind of because it's an unconscious thing. It's not a. It's not like people go. I would love to hook up with a dude who threatens to kill me and uh and hey and doesn't let me have friends and is an abusive terror it's not like that it's not like you, you just it's unconscious it's because that's the the mold with which you were kind of crafted now is that to say that you're forever doomed to pick turds and that your picker will be off forever no of course not no and, and, and you know and I just think that with the right amount of seeing a shrink, getting through and getting to the, the root, all the unconscious stuff that's going on with you, then you'll be better equipped to pick uh, somebody who's more, more caring and loving. So how, when will you trust men again? I, look, that could take time. And I think too, being hard on yourself about it. like, Don't be so hard on yourself, dude. It takes time. It takes time to change. It takes time to go back and, and look at why you're attracted to this dude and why you didn't run versus, you know, you turned and you went, I'm going to try and change this guy. I'm going to try to make him a better person. I'm going to try to make this work out. Um, Because the the goal is for someone in your situation would be that you see that guy coming in the future because they don't sound like these abusive douchebags. They don't uh, disappear on the planet, but you'll see them coming. And instead of stopping, walking up to him and inviting him in, you're going to be like, uh oh, I see it. I see flag, 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 flag. Guess what? I'm going to go across the street. Adios, amigo. Go away. Uh, So, but those are just tools that you're going to get over time with the right therapy and the right help. Like that's, sorry, that's just the solution. And yeah, and someday you'll, your tuner will be tuned to the right types. And that's when you're going to meet a sweet guy who's not an abusive turd uh, and who's going to treat you right. And instead of running from him, because when your tuner is on the wrong frequency and all you're into are the turds and the dirt bags. Cause that's a problem is when you're tuners off, you're, you're so strongly attracted to these guys that are, why am I so into, I was listening to this woman talk about the other day, uh, men suffer so the men, for instance, the men might be like, I'm so attracted to uh, narcissistic women who are hypersexual Well, probably because your mother was a narcissistic woman who was highly sexual or if you're attracted to alcoholics, probably because your dad was an alcoholic. So it's really not about the dude. It's about you and your history and how you grew up. And I can't tell you how many emails I receive where it starts with like, I had a great childhood. Nothing was wrong. Oh, except for the fact that, you know, uh, mommy drank, daddy punched her and, uh, they passed out every night, but that whatever, that's not a, <laughs> and you're like, well, that's the whole thing. That's the whole problem. Um, so until you go and, and do all that work and it takes time and then eventually you, you'll be recalibrated to, to like the nice guys. And that's why nice guys finish last, right? Because the, uh, you know, it, you have to be healthy to be interested in the, in the good ones and the good apples. And unfortunately there's a lot of unhealthy people on the planet and they like the drama and the the uncertainty. That's bad. Um, so yes, you eventually you will like good dudes and you will trust dudes again, but not until you've done the work so that you run from the crummy ones. Cause that's all that's happening right now. And can it, can it be changed? Absolutely. You know, I fucking, I want to tell people all the time that it's never, just because you're one way right now doesn't mean that it can't change. You know, it can all change. It can all change for you. It, it, I trust me. I know it can. If you believe that it can, then it definitely will. And I think that's also part of the thing is uh, believing. Okay. Let's light it up a little bit. We started off full tilt on this episode of That Um, I uh, got this email and I was listening. She writes, hey lady, I was listening to give you the cargo shorts woman advice on how to be more stylish. So we had a lady email in, um, she's kind of a shut it down mom. She was going to shut it down mom town and she was wearing like cargo shorts and just hideous sandals. And so I got a submission. Uh, She writes, it got me to thinking that pockets are such a hot commodity on any article of clothing. Why not have tons of them on our comfy yet super super delicious go-to cotton leggings. Assuming that the 2017 technology cannot be failing us this hard, I turned to Google. So here it is, cargo leggings. Oh, I'm going to put these on my site so you can see the uh, tragedy that is cargo leggings. God, is there anything worse than that? I mean, really, is there any other way to say you've given up? I, I don't know. I don't know. I was in search of the perfect fanny pack, you know, because I was wearing... Um, the Joe Rogan issued leather, like the black leather one, which is great by the way. I fucking love it because the utility is spot on. I mean, you've got one pouch that's got like a a zipper seal and the other pouch is just like a turn thing. So you can put like looser items in there. It's got a lot of room. However, it is very masculine and I'm a lady. So, I. I'm on the search for a fanny pack that's a little less macho. Little less macho. Even though I do love the utility. Very difficult for me. Very difficult for me. Okay. What am I doing now? What am I doing here? So also, this is funny. Uh, a long time ago, I mentioned that I am an emetophobe in that. Uh, for those of you know what that word means, uh, oh, it means that. I have an irrational fear of vomiting. If I fucking hate it. I uh, I don't like vomiting, and I deal with it uh, with my shrink. <laughs> and this girl wrote in um, Tracy, and she said that she has a, sam- a similar problem, and she recommended I get a prescription for this drug that suppresses stomach spasms. So in case you have like the flu, you won't vomit. Blah blah blah. It was like a long thing. I got in this long thing with this girl. <laughs> anyway, she wrote in. Um, Oh, she goes, but I was wondering if you've ever discussed anxiety and relationships. Like when one partner, oh, let's just say me, for example, has terrible anxiety, and the other partner, oh, let's just say my husband, has no idea what anxiety feels like, therefore can be very insensitive about it. The phrases just relax. Just don't worry and it doesn't matter are just a few that my husband says to brush off my anxieties and he doesn't not understand, he doesn't understand that he only makes things worse. I've tried talking to him, but he's too damn logical. Have you run into this issue or seen it played out in any other relationships? (laughs) Yes, Tracy. I mean, look, I think... (laughs) Haven't we all been told that shit? If you're someone that has anxiety, there's a, a phrase that makes you go crazy, uh, which is just that doesn't matter. It's fine. What are you talking about? Don't worry. Just don't worry. Just relax. Like, have you ever been so angry with somebody and they tell you to calm down? That just enhances the rage a thousandfold. Like I, I hate it when people don't understand. <laughs> Cause I feel like, it is, anxiety is one of those annoying um, emotions that people have. that If you don't have it at the moment, you really can't identify with a person having anxiety because it looks, it looks irrational to them because it kind of fucking is, right? Like I'm, I'm super terrified of puking and I know that if I ever get weird about it, I can see my husband being like, oh my God, really? Oh my God, really? Like it's, it is comical to other people and uh, I get it. Because when he's been anxious about something, and that I'm not anxious about, I my inclination is to be like, dude, come on, relax, just come on, fucking come on. <laughs> and I think it's only because of my, you know, fear for him. I I fear for him. I don't want him to have that feeling, and you want to take it away from that person, and blah blah blah, control them. Uh, but um, I mean, the only way that you can explain it to somebody like what you're anxious about what's ha- what's helped me in the past for instance with my uh my puking stuff is to tell people the origin story I because every every um anxious thing you have usually has uh an origin story okay if you ever start a sentence with I don't know why but it means that that shit is so deep in your childhood stuff That like you need to go back with a shovel and a shrink to figure out what that means. Whenever it's, I don't know why, but every time I see a dog, I start shivering with fear and I run. Well, probably because something bad happened to you when you were younger with a dog and you hadn't resolved the trauma around that. So I think what really helps somebody who doesn't comprehend your anxiety is to explain to that person your origin story about the particular thing you're anxious over, you know, so whether it's, um, you know, maybe I know some people have a fear of anxiety over driving. Maybe you got into a bad car accident. Like if you tell people your feelings behind stuff, if they're a rational, um, empathetic person and they're receptive to hearing it, then they will really understand you. Cause that's really with communication I've found in my relationships with people and, you know, husbands and such, It's really because that person isn't comprehending the level of your agony, your despair, your anger, whatever the fuck it is, that they don't really, they're not getting it, that it's a real deep thing for you. Um, So if you explain it in terms of like, I'm feeling this, not you're not doing something, that's a huge one too. It's not not to blame them. Like, hey, why aren't you more sympathetic to me? I'm full of this anxiety. It's not that. It's to go, listen, dude, I know it sounds crazy, um, but... I've, I'm really anxious about dogs, and it's because when I was five, I got bitten by a dog, and my mom, uh, when I went to tell my mom about it, she blamed me and made me cry even more, something like that, and now I have this this irrational thing with dogs, and I'm terrified. I mean, who would who would ever, you know, be unsympathetic to somebody's origin story unless they themselves were an unsympathetic turd? So... Uh, I find that that always helps. It's not about blaming the other person, but, um, but t- uh, telling them what's going on. What's going on. There you go. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here we go. This one is from a lady. She writes in, I've always had a dream metabolism. I could eat whatever I wanted with no consequence. I didn't even have any ailments or pain, and I didn't have to put any time into my body for it to be in prime, gorgeous, aesthetically fuckable condition. Fuck. Good for you. Enjoy it, dude. Then came the year of my 24th birthday. The first six months hit me like a whirlwind of bricks. January, severe cystic acne. February, rosacea. March, hip problems. April, uncomfortable indigestion after every meal. May, gallbladder slash kidney problems, June, glasses, July, heart palpitations, (coughs) all on top of a 25-pound weight gain and frustrating sudden memory loss. Basically, I used to be an 8-ish on the hot scale without any effort, and now I'm pushing a 5, maybe even with hours of maintenance all within half a year after looking and feeling exactly the same for all of the previous years. Don't get me wrong. The whole world does not revolve around my looks. I'm totally a mind-driven person. I'm a writer and can dive in for hours about philosophy, spirituality, galaxy theories. My point is I didn't realize before all of this that so much if my identity and the way that I've learned how to navigate the world leans heavily on my sex appeal. I realize this isn't exactly the right way to trudge through life with any sort of stamina, but I have no idea how to let it not get to me. I even feel obligated to hurry up and figure out a way to love this new face and body of mine. Because even though right now I feel disgusting and ashamed, when I'm middle-aged, I'm going to look back at pictures of myself now and wonder why the hell I wasn't practicing, why I wasn't prancing around naked all the time. I'm trying, but I'm not there and I'm not sure I can get there, especially when the whole world is screaming these ridiculous standards at, not just me, but women in general. I can't help but associate it with my self-worth, even though I know it's a horrible way of thinking. But when I put in work to try to fight, fight this, my perception of myself, I feel like I'm faking it. Is my constant need to feel sexually attractive so built into me that I won't be able to change? What a huge character flaw. Is it possible to change my perception of myself? That seems like a huge, intense project to tackle. The crazy, ironic part of all of this is that you've kind of already helped me with this. Oh, in my recent stand-up show in Sacramento, I used... <laughs> okay, so I did this thing in my act. You guys will see it. Oh, I can't say where, but you'll see it. Um, where I point out, like, a cute girl. So I used her as my cute girl example. Okay. Whenever I get overwhelmed with the comparisons of how hot I used to be, I can at least remember how good it felt to be dubbed as someone's perception of young and sexy in front of a bunch of people by one of my favorite people. So that's cool. Okay. She writes, any thoughts? Gina. Gina, first of all, may I ask what the heck is happening to you that at 24, you've got six months of just chaos? Um, what else is happening with you, dude? Because at the top of this episode, I mentioned Louise Hay's book, You Can Heal Your Life, I believe is the title. Um, and in that book, you can literally search ailments like heart palpitations, and she'll give you an affirmation and tell you what she thinks the emotional root causes for some of this stuff. Uh, sounds wacky. I'm not sure it is because I do think that the mind is so connected to the body I would ask what is going on. Um, so let's start there. Why, why, Rose? I've ha- cause I've had sometimes physical, like I've had um, skin ailments come erupt too. Usually it coincided with something emotional that I wasn't dealing with, right? And then it's um, like a lot of times the body will, oh, it'll erupt. Your body will tell you something is wrong uh, when the mind, can't contain it right the mind can't contain it and then the body will erupt in rosaceas cystic acne hip problems indigestion after every meal gallbladder kidney problem. i mean you name it and i don't know if this is because of like something else maybe i don't know what your diseases are but hey man uh number one let's start with the emotional stuff there okay so some some's doing uh, that's just my professional phd opinion <laughs> uh Okay, so, you, you know, hey, man, you used to be an eight, and now you're five. You're 24 years old. That, and at that age, I have to say it's quite normal to be um, really more fixated on your hotness because I hate to say it, but society puts a premium on that decade of your life. Like, your 20s are supposed to be when a woman, at least in our, in our world, in our uh, American society... Uh, the 20s are like this rare form of currency, right? Like you're supposed to be just the most sexually viable you can be. Uh, you know, you're at the top of your game. That's when you have to snag a man. You got to snag a husband. You got to pump out the kids. You got to do everything in your 20s because that's when you're at your best. Theoretically, that's what society tells you. Um, and then, you know, you realize like, oh, it's really not the case. I was probably the best looking in my 20s. But I uh, really was messed up. Everything else was a disaster. Like, yes, I had great tits, but my life was in shambles. And I lived uh, on a futon in someone's kitchen. And my boyfriend was in a band and played acoustic guitar and stared at me. I was terrible. No, my boyfriend in, uh, my boyfriend wasn't even in a band. He just played the acoustic guitar. And sang at me constantly. And I don't think there's any other hell than having somebody sing acoustic guitar music to you. <laughs> is there anything more embarrassing than being on the receiving end of acoustic guitar singing? I don't think there is. Like, I would, I, on the level of embarrassment and shame, like, I'd rather just be naked all the time and deal with that shame of people seeing me naked than having someone sing an acoustic song to me. Oh, I I hate it. So (laughs) and my feelings are so important to me. Like, Oh my God. Oh, I can't take that. (laughs) So unattractive. So the point is, uh, yeah, you will look back at pictures of you uh, in your twenties and be like, wow, I had no idea. How stunning I was, and I think that's everybody in their twenties. Because you're young and supple and beautiful. You're just you're beautiful because you're young, and that's why the, our culture uses youth to sell things to us, right? Mascara and skin creams and all this horseshit. The fountain of youth. That's we're all chasing. You know, we're trying to avoid our inevitable decline. So, the fact that you're 24 and having to face the inevitable decline. Is that it is soon? It is too soon, and you should feel robbed, cheated, and upset because it's a lot to go through. What you're going through this early in your life, so uh, take thee to the doctor, fix your rosacea if you haven't already. um, Find the best doctors. Let me tell you some little secret. Um, In LA. Do you think these uh, this Kylie Jenner was perfect? Do you think she doesn't have cystic acne or or these Kardashian bitches or any of these celebrities by the way, that you love? You don't think these bitches have rosacea uh, severe acne problems? Yes, they do, but you know what they do. They go to the best doctor in town and they fix these problems, okay? Okay? Uh, so get thee to a good doctor to take care of whatever you can cosmetically take care of and then get the 2A head doctor to figure out what's going on, what's the underlying stuff. Because I, like Louise Hay, believe in the mind, buddy, connection. And I bet you there's some other shit happening to you because at this age you shouldn't be having... uh, Heart palpitations are definitely an anxiety thing. Because, yeah, who hasn't had that where you're like, I think I'm having a stroke. And then you go to the doctor and you have an EKG. And then they're like, "Uh, no, you're just stressed out. Or that's a panic attack. (laughs) Because these all sound like, if you want me to be honest with you, which I can't help, um, uncomfortable indigestion after every meal, heart palpitations, rosacea, hip... Uh, these are all for, for, in rosacea, these are all manifestations to me. It sounds like of an emotional deal. So you shouldn't have to deal with these, my love. And no, you're not some weird narcissist because you think you should be pretty at 24. You should be pretty at 24. You should. And thankfully nature kind of, uh, at least for me, I don't know. For other women, they very much struggle with aging and being, perceived as less sexually viable. I got to be honest with you. Uh, I couldn't wait until I was perceived as Lex, less, less sexually viable. Uh, uh, and I mean this a thousand percent that I, I didn't like all the attention of being a younger girl and, and all the dudes like wanting to bang you. I hated it. I fucking hated being a sex object to people or whatever in the world. I, I, and when I turned 40, I was like, yes, I'm free. I'm finally a man. I'm finally, I have finally <laughs> opted out of a lot of this uh, sexualizing, the male gaze drama, you know, and for those of you who don't know what that means, uh, it's fucking complicated, but you're always an object of some dude, right, as a woman generally in our culture. And I was so glad to finally be seen as a maternal, slightly way less fuckable <laughs> Um, a little chunkier, a little wrinklier, and just opted out of that system because it it does get tiresome and it's a relief to not be so, so sexualized. I'm not saying that I don't get attention. I still do. It's great. It's nice to feel attractive. I'm not saying that either, Um, but it's definitely not the foot that I've, I've led with Um, in this part of this stage of my life, it's just not the, and it's normal, right? You're in your twenties. The early part of your life is all the physical part of your life, right? You're, you're just growing into this body. 24 is not far from the end of puberty for God's sakes. Like you're, you're a new woman and you should be into your body and you should be really interested in how it works and how to dress it and makeup and looking sexy. These are all totally normal, things and, and, you know, sexuality is coming into being and, and all that. And that's wonderful. And then, you know, and then the thirties become a little bit more like, all right, I've got that part down and this is fun and this is working. Well, let's get into the mental stuff now. You know, who am I inside? Maybe that's where I'm leaning towards. Like, ah, let's, let's work on the career a little more than the body and the thing and the boys Let's, let's take the break off, you know, pick, take the foot off the pedal of the boy problem so much. Cause now we found this great boyfriend and maybe we're getting married and maybe we're thinking about blah, 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 blah. And you focus on other priorities. You build your career in your thirties, you build your empire, right? That then the focus becomes on being successful and then you turn 40 ish, whatever. And I think it becomes about what can I give, Right, you get into that phase of your life where it's about giving back because now you've acquired stuff and it's stuff is fantastic and you want to help other people get stuff too, and uh, and then you die. <laughs> That's existence. <laughs> no, but uh, those are the three phases of life. This is like a psychological, whatever premise. I, Wayne Dyer talks about it too, and you're just normal. You're very very normal, um, and I and I think it's problematic when people aren't accepting of their. Age and where they are in life, and I—it's so silly in show business. I know we're not supposed to say how old we are, which is totally stupid because now you can just go to Wikipedia and <laughs> and know what I had for breakfast. So uh, I ain't fooling, and you're really never fooling anybody. By the way, when you get plastic surgery, it's not as though people go, "Wow, you look uh, you know, thirty years old. You look forty, and now you look like a weird forty, like a pulled back." Sleek jack, weird 40. You just look like a shinier, creepier 40. You're not really fooling people. I mean, unless you do minimal, like he is to go minimal. Like if you have just a tiny little meow, a little eye work or a little Botox, just a, a tiny bit, don't go crazy. I saw a woman yesterday, I was getting my nails done and she was about my age, but the, the shininess and the overdoing of the injections and the, the duck lips and the the shininess i mean sister you ain't fooling nobody just admit to being 40 like the rest of us and you know get on with your life and find a guy that likes 40 year old chicks that's another thing the big the big worry is like oh but a man will never like me yeah you just gotta find the ones that are into 40 year olds you know who's into 40 year olds 80 year old guys <laughs> to them you're a hot commodity you just gotta know your audience you gotta find the right audience i don't know I don't know, but I do know women who uh, really struggle with losing their looks. I I knew a woman who really, really rooted her identity in uh, in all a lot of this. You know, I know a lot of these people. Obviously, I live in L.A. and um, this woman turned fifty, turned sixty, and and I think it's really it is it is dangerous though. And I know what your fear is. Uh, email her. Is it what is her name? Gina. Gina. The fear is like, oh, am I this horrible narcissistic person because I'm totally bummed about my appearance? No, of course not. No, you you were an eight. You were an effortless eight. You should still be an effortless eight (laughs) because you're 24. That's fine. Um, But the problem comes when you're 50, 60, and you're not an eight anymore, and you're really bummed about it, and you're really fucked up about it, and your whole identity was based on this, and now people treated you, and now when men don't give you the same sexual attention. And who am I? What am I? What am I doing? And um, you know, and that's when you turn into the woman who's wearing short shorts, rollerblading down South Beach, uh, with the tiny Chihuahua in uh, in a bag, and and tan, and the you know the whole fillers and the injectionables and all that shit. That's what happens. Um, but that's yeah. But that's why we cultivate. Personalities and shit, right? So you don't turn 50 and 60 and freak the fuck out because your whole life has been about getting laid, which is crazy in the first place. Uh-huh, right? Right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But it just happens. Hey, man, every decade, you kind of um, you evolve in a different way, right? You lose a little of your tits and your ass in your 30s, but you gain a little emotional clarity. You lose a little more tits and ass in your 40s, But you get really calm and really centered and you kind of realize that, oh, tits and ass aren't the whole center of it all. It's okay. It's okay to lose. Because what happens is every decade you lose a little bit more, right, physically, but then you gain a little more, hopefully, clarity and insight in other places. Because what you're doing, I mean, really, when you think about it metaphysically, philosophically, right, there's a peak physical time. And then after that, it is, it is. A steady decline towards the ultimate supernova, right? Existence, the Louise Hay, you're gonna be dead. So the body shuts down slowly, we decay, we decompose, because we are carbon-based matter, are we not? You uh you, you you decompose. Are we carbon-based? Shit, don't I even know this? Yeah, we are. So we're 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 matter and like everything else in nature, we decompose and we slowly ride. And so every decade if you're lucky enough to live, is a quieter shutting down of that, right? It's a little bit more every few years of a realization of like, oh, this all isn't permanent. Oh, this this means that I'm not going to be uh, on top of my game forever. And it's just kind of a, a slow shutting down of priorities and shifting of priorities. It doesn't have to be a bummer. It doesn't have to be tragic and depressing because I'm not uh, tragic and depressed about it. I mean, I talk about it, but that's only because I think it's fine. I don't think it should be this big, terrifying thing. I don't, I don't think as Americans, we talk about death at all and the decline and the, how natural that all is. I don't know if you know who Ram Das is, a spiritual uh, guru guy, Ram Das R-A-M, new word D-A-S-S, one of those hippies. He, um, Hung out with Timothy Leary um, in the 60s, and uh, he's a spiritual guy, guru, whatever, and he had a stroke. And so now he talks about existence with a stroke and how he's learned about the body shutting down and how he communicates now is differently, and, and that's just kind of how it goes, right? Things shift. Things change. Things fucking change all the time. All the time it's so crazy i don't I don't even see it until like this decade. I'm like, oh, yeah, shit just changes because the stuff that I grew up with doesn't even really exist anymore, and especially because technology's evolved so much in the last fifty years. it's evolved the human species, the human race has evolved more and it, it's it, this is true in the last fifty years more it's like been a quantum leap of change in the last fifty years, human evolution and technology, right? the stuff that we use, the gadgets we have the the ease with which we can do things. It's never been like this. And it's happened so fast. Uh, our society's changed so much in the last 50 years that we don't even know what the fuck to do about it. And the human and like our pace of life is, should be way slower. So it's fucking with us. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. You want to know what the fucking pace is? The pace you're supposed to move at, go watch the ocean, go watch the waves do you see that pace? Do you see that fucking in and out and steady? She goes and it covers the rocks, the water, and then it trickles back into the the wave, and then the wave lets out, and then it goes to the shore, and then it moves. Like, that's the pace that nature and life works at. When you give birth to a baby, it goes in waves, right? They call them contractions. It's just waves, man. It's all fucking waves, here it comes, here comes another, the contraction, the expansion, and then out. So, to speed things up, to be doing five things at a time and multitasking and it goes against everything that is inside of us. Uh, it fucks up our clocks, our body clocks, our way of doing things, man. I have a great hairdresser and I've been going to him for 20 years. And one day I was watching him work. On my hair. He stands as I sit right and he cuts and then he moves and he cuts on this side and then he kind of moves over here. And I say to him, Alan, look at you, man. You got such economy of movement. Like you there's no movement that was wasted. And he goes, Yeah, man. <laughs> He's from LA. He's an Angelino like me. Hey man, yeah. He's from the east side. He goes, I fucking took Tai Chi, dude. He goes, I do fucking Tai Chi when I do hair. So like every movement is super fluid, right? Like I go there and then I fucking go there and then I fucking do that like that. (laughs) And I go, that's fucking great, bro. Because that's what it is, right? Tai Chi, it's all Tai Chi. It's an economy of movement. You don't do any unnecessary shit. We're conserving our energy. We're doing the things that matter. All the other shit falls away. Because not all of it's important. If everything's important, then nothing's important. If everything's an emergency, then nothing's an emergency, man. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? It's all it's all in a, the ebb and the flow. And don't fight. That's the thing. That's when we get caught up. You fight. You fight the current. Oh, I got to do it this way. I got to have it this way. Go, 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 go. That's not to say that you shouldn't try. That's not to say that you shouldn't go and get help when you need the help. You know? Reach out to the people that have the power to help, and that are receptive to your help, and don't don't fuck with the people that aren't on your side. <laughs> That's another one. Don't don't fuck with the haters. Go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. That's rule number one. I learned that on Oprah. <sighs> so that felt good. All right, guys, um, go ahead and email me. That's deeprowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any questions or observations. Uh, Louise Hay is the woman I mentioned at the top of the show. Go check her books out. You can get them online. You can go to YouTube, watch her talk. Man, Louise Hay was a real uh, god of the self help movement. Just she, she pretty much says the same thing in different form as a lot of these self help people do. But she's really great for someone who's just like I don't, I don't get it. I don't like. She'll kind of spell it out for you. And she's real gentle, sweet, nice blonde lady. She's kind of like the you know. Kind of sweet grandma you want to have bake you some cookies, give you a little snuggle, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside, and that's that's all we want, right? Isn't that what everybody wants? Some cookies, some snuggles. Shit, that's what I'm talking about. Um, okay, boobs, uh, have a great week, and uh, email me. And uh, we're coming into fall. I'm r- real excited about that. You know, mommy, mommy P loves her Halloween. I love me the holidays, so that stuff is coming up on us quick, and the drama of the family appears. We all know that, right? Families that we don't want to see, families who cause us distress, planning things, so start thinking about how we're going to deal with the holidays, all right? It's never too early to start putting plans into motion. In fact, I would recommend now start discussing uh, plans with people that might be a little sticky icky, right? I don't mean weed. I just mean sticky. Like, uh, uh, is there somewhere you don't want to fly? Are there plans you don't want to make with certain uh, family members? Well, now's the time to kind of trickle that in. Let people know in advance. Guess what? I won't be traveling uh, to your city with my five children to be berated by you uh, whatever it is, whatever it is. Now is the time to put those things in people's ears. So nobody's offended when the holiday actually rolls around and you're not there. I I recommend doing what you have to do to preserve your sense of sanity and, and happiness and self. Make plans with people you enjoy being around on holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, it's all coming. New Year's is all coming. So now is the time to start thinking, who do I want to be with? What do I want to do? What do I want to do to cultivate joy and positivity and, and not just slog through this next few months? Because I know a lot of us just slog through it and it's depressing and it doesn't have to be. I, God damn it. It doesn't have to be. I don't think it has to be. I think you can reinvent the holidays to be something that works for you. And why not? I love it. It's a great time of year to slow the fuck down to take time off work. Everything shuts down around Christmas and New Year's. So that's like a good two weeks where America pretty much shuts down. And it's rare because we don't do that very often, but it's a wonderful opportunity to seize and make very, very positive and uh, doesn't have to be a drag. Not all of life has to be a drag. Did you know that? Did you know that you're meant to have joy and that you're meant to have love and you're meant to have things you enjoy? Did you know that? Did you know that you were put here? To enjoy stuff and to pet dogs and to make babies you love or not, to to find a spouse, a partner you like, and to hold their hand and to watch bad reality shows or whatever it is you do, you were meant to have fun, really, because you're not here for that long, guys. Why, why keep it miserable? Why live in the same prison your folks did? You know, they had their time and it's time for you to have yours and uh, you deserve it. I'm giving you permission, not like you needed it or asked for it, but sometimes it helps. I don't know. Sometimes I, sometimes I ask my shrink for permission to do things. Is that normal? I don't know. All right. God, really fucking, I missed you guys. I'm chatting up a storm. Okay. Until next week, that's been D bro. Thank you for listening to this episode and I will see you again. Bye. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with, philosophize, with, with. with.